This is a podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. I'm talking today on the religion of Mormonism. I want to talk to you about that because I think you're going to be hearing a lot about that in the next few weeks. And I want us to uh, talk about that and how Mormonism compares to Christianity. Um, our church is an interdenominational church. Well, we say that because we're not anti-denominations. We recognize that for those of you who have been Christians uh, and grew up as Christians, there are a lot of wonderful denominations uh, that have helped us uh, become the people we are today. And so we recognize the you know, Baptist, Church of Christ, Assemblies of God, Nazarene, the Roman Catholic Church, all of these different sects that all lift up the name of Jesus, uh, none of them are completely right. All of them have errors in them. But they all can trace their history back to Acts chapter 2, when the church was birthed in some way. So we here have an attitude and demeanor in which we value all the different Christian denominations that lift up our very specific God, Jesus Christ, who was born of a virgin, who has a distinct personality and distinct characteristic, and he is the one we lift up. Now, what if I came to you one Sunday and told you that I was ready to share something with you that no one else in the world has ever heard before? That an angel had appeared to me personally, had not appeared to anybody else, but an angel had appeared to me personally and had told me special information, uh, had actually given me a special uh, document that I, I was the only person in the world that could translate that. And because I alone had found out this information and I alone could interpret these words, every Christian for 2,000 years had been wrong. In fact, I want to tell you, it, 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 we're role-playing here, so I'm not saying this, but uh, imagine this if I said every single person in the world besides me has been wrong for 2,000 years since the last apostle died. They're all wrong, and you are so lucky because you're at this church this morning, and you get to find this special revelation only given to Aaron Allison. Now, how many of you would, would probably already leave this church building or, or, or at least try to get out real quick? You would do the, the whole, oh, I need to go to the bathroom and then conveniently find your way to the parking lot. It's really ludicrous to think that. It's unsafe. It's unbecoming. It's um, scary. It's the, the, the idea that one man holds all this truth and one person holds all this truth. Well, that's precisely what happened about 200 years ago. In upstate New York, Joseph Smith, uh, who, whose family, was they, they were kind of treasure hunters up in the woods of New York. And one day he came out, and as the story unfolded, and said while he was in the woods in New York, he found these special tablets. Special tablets with special engravings that only he could interpret. And an angel named Moroni, who was a son of Mormon, revealed that everybody in the world was wrong about the Christian faith. And there was a new Christian faith. That's how the Mormon church was birthed. 
And that's how it started. And that's why I want you to understand that, uh, that we, we have a lineage, we have a history, we have a connecting point. Every, every church that meets in the city that's considered part of something called Orthodox Christianity, even though these churches aren't perfect, they can trace the development of their theology all the way back to the scripture, all the way back into the times when the disciples were with Jesus, all the way back to Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost when the church was birthed. But for the Mormon church, it's not so. And so one of the things I want to establish today is I want you to, to have some tools and be equipped with some information because as our culture begins to dialogue who the Mormons are and, and who they aren't, I want you to be informed. And I want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Because there's a scripture I want to share with you that as I read this, when I read the scripture, I think about Mormons quite a bit. Uh, when I've read these over the years, they seem to come to mind. One thing about the Mormon faith is it's really important to them to be considered Christians. That's a very important um, value to the Mormon church. And so they actually have a a publicity department out of Salt Lake City uh, that will um, give out information and say, well, we want people to have personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and we believe in the Trinity, and we want people to be born again. And using language that's very familiar to all of us, and so there's that part of us that, 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 you know, we would love to think, well, wow, they're using some of the same language. And so aren't they just as Christian as we are? But the truth is that even though the language might be similar, what I want to point out to you is the particular person of Jesus Christ. Because the Jesus that they define, and they say we've accepted him into our hearts, is a very different Jesus than the ones that billions of Christians have worshipped. It's a Jesus that was imagined out of the mind of one man in upstate New York just a couple hundred years ago. Not the same Jesus that was verified by the disciples and verified by the 500 people who saw him and verified throughout church history on different continents and different language and different, different atmospheres. The Jesus that we've been tested and been tested by the creeds and been tested by the hymns and been tested by the scriptures that have been canonized. That's a very specific Jesus. And this, this is nothing new. This, this is nothing new because the first couple of centuries of Christianity, there were all types of different religions out there. And Paul warned the church at Corinth not to be susceptible to these. And this is a scripture that I think of when I think of the Mormon faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting at verse 3. But I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted, just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. You happily put up with whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach, or a different kind of spirit than the one we received are a different kind of gospel than the one you believed. And that phrase at the top of the slide you see up there in verse 3, a different Jesus. A Jesus redefined. 
a Jesus that, uh, that is defined in a way that he's never been defined before. So just because they're similar terms doesn't mean it's the same God, doesn't mean it's the same Jesus. So I want to point out a sample of some major differences between uh, Mormonism and Christianity, and then I want to talk how we can respond to that. These differences are on your notes. They're in version, as Pastor David said, and they're not the only differences. I mean, we could talk hours and hours. So for those of you who have looked in the subject and you're thinking, oh, Aaron forgot to say this or forgot to say that or he left out this difference. This is by no means an exhaustive list. In fact, I just wanted to give something, just three things, just that's kind of easy for us to digest today. Because sometimes when we're overloaded, that doesn't do us any good. The first one I want to point out to you is the scripture. And, and I love talking about how our scripture came together. Our Bible is so special. Our Bible is so precious. Our Bible has been tested. Uh, the, the, the Bible, we know that the scriptures that, that were determined as God's word were tested, were prayed over, were valued. And so there are 66 books in the Bible that for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, the church has said, these 66 books, these are the words of God. If you start pulling out extra literature and say, well, this is equal to the scripture, it's a distortion. It's unsafe. I read lots of books. I I read at least a book a week, I'm sure. And those books inspire me and inform me. And I even have spiritual experiences sometimes because of some of the books that I read. But none of those books are even close to being on the same level as Scripture. They don't even compare. There's an anointing on the Scripture. There's an anointing on your Bible. Your Bible is the living and active Word of God. And, and you can tell you the, the, the way to test that. You know, I can sit here and, and I, I've done, I did a whole series called The Standard one time, talked how the Bible was put together and, and those are available online and all of, the, all of those things are valuable. But if you really want to test what the word of God is, then you read your scripture and compare it to any other, any other type of literature you can read and see how it impacts your life spiritually. It won't even compare. Because when you read the scripture with an open heart, There's an anointing on the scripture that the Holy Spirit has breathed words on the Bible that we use. And it is powerful. It's effective. When we begin to say what it says and we begin to say the scripture, we are aligning ourselves with God and his very distinct personality. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who has revealed himself through Jesus Christ. Very specific who he is. For the Mormon religion... They, they believe the Bible we have, but in these last 200 years, they've said there's three other books that are just as valid as the Bible. The Book of Mormon, which was written by Joseph Smith, and then two other, two other books that say these books are just as valid as the Bible. They are scripture. They, 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 they are what God has breathed upon. And that's just so erroneous. That's just, that's just wrong. That, that this little sect of people out of our very country has said these, these writings that came from our leaders and from us are just as important as the very scriptures that have been tested and approved and that 
the whole world, the whole Christian world has verified God has breathed upon. So that right there sets up a huge difference. A huge difference in that Jesus is redefined in these books. And Jesus is, 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 is defined as someone much, much different. Jesus is supposed to have come to South America and have, have preached to South America a second time. And the idea of being baptized for the dead, that's a huge proponent of Mormon religion. And then on top of that, when you take their early scriptures and their current day practice, there's huge contradictions that even those people in the Mormon faith are debating themselves. And so to, to say that these scriptures are equally valid is not just incorrect, it's dangerous. It's dangerous for those of us who want to know this very particular Jesus. Which leads us to the second thing I want to point out is the nature of Christ. I think this might be the heart of what we're talking about. The heart of, of, of who, who we are. The, the Mormon religion really is a, a polytheistic religion. Meaning they believe in many, many gods. And Jesus is one of those gods. They believe that this planet, the earth, is ruled by a god named Elohim. Which is a, which is a specific name, but Elohim is just one of many gods. And Elohim had many sons. And one of those sons was Jesus. The Mormon faith does not believe in the virgin birth. They believe that Jesus was begotten. Uh, naturally and through human means. And so that would make him less than divine and less than God. Jesus isn't fully God. And so while you can say, well, I've had, if, if someone from the Mormon faith would say, I've had Jesus into my heart or I believe in Jesus or I believe he is the son of God, it means something very different than it does to you and me. Because not believing in the Trinity not believing in the one God, not believing that Jesus is the Son of God, then it is a different Jesus. Uh, Mormonism teaches that Jesus was the first and mightiest spirit of God, and he's the brother of all human spirits, which leads me to just my third differentiation here. Like I said, there's many, many more. But it's the idea that humans, and specifically males, uh, male, that might have been a better way to put it. Men can become gods. At one time, minorities weren't able to become gods, and they've changed that. Now, still to this day, women aren't able to be gods, but men can become gods. That's a very 18th century thought process, not a divine thought process. So there's these secret rites in the temple that hardly anyone knows about. And because they're trying to make humans become gods, um, genealogy is very important to Mormons and they go back and they trace back all of their genealogical records and in the Mormon temples and there's many there's several around the world they'll be baptized for the dead trying to make their ancestor gods this isn't normal Christian behavior th th these are not things we find in our scripture uh, these are not behaviors that have been in the historical church uh, these are not things that 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 the Spirit has approved of. And one quote that really summarizes a lot of what Mormons believe, and I think we have it, is this. A man, as man is, God once was. And as God is, many may become. Let's keep that up there first, just a second. This is the Mormon eternal law of progression. 
And that tells you a lot about this faith. A lot of why it's not a Christian faith. It's a different faith. As many, as man is, God once was. When you don't believe in one true God, and you believe that we just have this Elohim who's just in charge of this one planet, uh, you, you could think that he's evolved or he's become something different. But we know that there is one eternal God who has always existed and he has one name and he has one plan of salvation and he is the God not just of one tiny little planet. He's the God of everything that has been made, will be made, has been made over the whole universe. That's the God we worship. And he is so powerful and mighty and transcendent and his qualities are so above us, we could never become him. Never. Not even possible. That's why he had to become our sin for us. So as man is, God once was. As God is, many may become. No, we're not going to become a God. We're not going to become a ruler of a planet. We are going to, we are going to be adopted into his family and we're going to be part of his kingdom. And yes, we may rule and reign with him, but we'll always be under him. Because he is God. He is Lord. He is higher above us. And we are sinful and we have to have him. We have to have him because he's holy and he is good. So, as exalted Mormon men, as male Mormons, as they do good works, eventually they can become, they could become a God themselves. Well, I want to talk to you now, how can we respond uh, to people in the Mormon faith? That was just, I just gave you just this little snippet, little snippet just to point out some differences. And there's just lots of literature you could, you could research yourself. But this is just a way to just give you some understandings of how we're so different. Because if you're like me, there's part of you that wants to be inclusive. There's part of you that that wants to say, oh yeah, we're, we're, we're just, there could be many different paths to God. But Jesus didn't give us that option. He really didn't. He really didn't give that. And, and so it's so important that we understand the differences. So the first thing I want to point out to you as we talk about how to treat Mormons or how to interact with them is this, is beware of theological arguments. Beware of theological arguments. And, and I've, I've had discussions with Mormons, and, and I'll tell you this, is they're very well-educated, well-informed people. Um, basically, just as a generalization, I don't mean this as an insult to any of you. This is more of a, a condemnation on us spiritual leaders. But I would say the average Mormon knows a whole lot more about their faith than the average Christian. That, that's just a factual statement. It doesn't mean that, doesn't mean that their information is more valid. Of course it's not. But uh, their education process and their solidarity creates some power. We have so many different sects and denominations, but they pretty much have that one out of Salt Lake City. There's, there's some other sects, but I don't want to get into that out of Missouri and so forth. But um, the Mormons know their stuff. They, they really do. They know their religion. And then on top of this, and just you need to be aware of this, is they're evangelistic. Meaning this, is that uh, when Mormon people uh, go to church on Sundays... They're talking how to, about how to convert you. And one of their biggest strategies is to get Christians to illuminate towards their, their way of thinking. And so um, the Spirit needs to lead you. And if the Spirit, the spirit causes, you to, causes you to 
speak the truth. I'm, I mean, speak the truth and, and do that. But most of the time, um, there, unless the Holy Spirit has really prepared a Mormon's heart, uh, a Mormon's heart, it's going to be kind of this um, um, public debate. And there might be a few of us who would enjoy that, but most people have hard time showing civility in public debate because what, we're, we're passionate about the gospel. And they're passionate about the Mormon message. And so you feel the need to defend the truth and all of a sudden um, the, the civility of the conversation can digress really fast. Uh, back in the 1920s, Dale Carnegie came out with this book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And of the many, many strategies, one of them is don't argue with people because you always lose. And, and, and if someone is really entrenched in their beliefs and uh, you, come in, you come into an argument with them, uh, only if I had an argument with uh, Daniel here, one of two things would happen. If I win the argument, I embarrass him. And, and he, looks, you know, he looks dumb in his eyes. Or if uh, we just, we, neither one of us wins, we both become angry <laughs> and have a bad experience. So by and large, I just, it's, it's not, that, that is, not, just to be honest with you, not the most fertile soil for evangelism. Um, still, God may lead you. And God may lead people. Some of you might be called to be a, a missionary to the Mormon faith. And so I don't want to hinder that or I don't want to discourage that at all. But I'm just saying on a day-to-day basis, uh, these are people who are very passionate about their faith. They desire to evangelize you. Here's the second thing that I, I want us to discuss. And I hope this will change a little bit of the tone of this sermon. Uh, we need to celebrate moral similarities. Uh, I've been very careful um, to really over and over kind of pound in your mind this morning. They are different than us and we are different from a theological standpoint, religious standpoint. There's no doubt about that. We are different. And and I I wanted you to get that point. But now as we talk about living life together is there are some very positive things about the Mormon faith when it comes to morality, not theology, not theology. Their theology is wrong. Their view of Christ is wrong. But with their values, there's some outstanding qualities. Every week, uh, Mormons are encouraged to do two things, two worship services. One is a Sunday morning gathering uh, like we have. And the second gathering is I really admire. It's a family night. That's part of their religious rhythm. For most of them, it's Monday night. And on that night, the family will do an activity together. And it might be a sport. It might be a, a recreational thing. It might be a, a, a scripture study of what, what their scripture is. But that has created, I think it's a positive thing, great family values among those in the Mormon faith. And as you interact with Mormons, I think that you can celebrate that. Because our Our nation needs strong family values. And we need marriages to stay together. And we need fathers to be fathers. And and we need moral compasses that believe some things are just wrong. Some things that come from God are transcendent. There are just values of honesty and integrity and values uh, that are wholesome, that sometimes transcend theological differences. Now, we know those all come from our specific God who has a name, uh, who is the God of the Jews and now the God of us. 
We know that all goodness comes from him. But we can celebrate those things. So uh, my children, I've had a, I've had a, one of my children has been, two of my children have been friends with Mormons, are friends with Mormons. And uh, they're great kids. I don't really let them go to Mormon youth camp if they have that. I don't know if they have that or not. And they don't go to their church activities. And uh, the family very much knows where we stand, especially it's easy, a little bit easier for me because I'm a pastor. And so that's by vocation, I identify myself. But, but there's some great solidarity there. And, and so we, don't, we need not fear people different than us. We have to know the difference and understand. See, there's something in life, you can, there's, there's different types of relationships you can have. You can have confidants. Those are important. Those are people you can share everything with. You know, those are, those are the very few people that you can have confidence with. And then you can have uh, companions, and those are people that, you, you know, uh, are comrades is a better way to put it. Uh, comrades are people that you come together because you're after the same cause, and, and you both believe in the same thing. And then there's something called combatants. Combatants is this, is just people who maybe don't have things in common, but they, they have the same enemy. And that's a lack of morality and darkness and sin. And I think, you know, we can maybe look sometime at our Mormon friends who are very different than us and will never be Christian unless they believe in that very distinct Jesus. But as combatants, meaning that values in our nation, values in our nation that we can align with and and we can morally oppose certain things. So I just think that's a, a good posture to have. And here's the last thing I want to share with you. As we, we deal with Mormons and learn how to treat them and how to interact with them, because they, this is the fastest growing religion in, in the history of the world, pretty much one of the fastest growing religions, just so you can know that, which basically that means too that for all of you who, who love to just see a religious work and say, well, they must be doing something right because they're growing, that doesn't mean just because they're growing, they're doing everything right because this religion obviously is doing things wrong, but they're still growing. But the last thing is this, is to cherish the uniqueness of the scripture and Jesus. I think that's, that's where God wants to take us as we discover, as our culture discovers more about Mormonism. And we interact with more Mormons as they are growing rapidly. And as we even see them take uh, greater roles in culture and in politics and beyond. That we can understand our differences and understand that we have something very special. We have the scripture revealed to us. We have Jesus revealed to us. I love what the Vincentinian canon says. And this is, this is helpful for all of us as we, as we try to not chase some weird cultic religion. It says this, as we take the greatest care to hold that which has been believed everywhere, always, and by all. That's a great way to look at the Christian faith is we take the greatest care to hold that which has been believed everywhere, always, and by all, specifically in the last 2,000 years since Jesus Christ has come and revealed himself, we want to be part of his revealed will, of who he is, what he says, not chasing other things. 
because our scripture is very clear. Our scripture is very special. But our Jesus is very special. And that's one of the things that I want you to learn as you've had this tiny exposure to the Mormon faith that you have a scripture that's special, but you have a Jesus that's special. You have a Jesus that has revealed himself and he is unique and he is not diminished in any way just by a revelation of one man. He is not limited uh, just because it's been verified by millions uh, that there's a different path and a different way that does not in any way take out the light, the light of the greatness of our God. Our God is great. Our Jesus, our very specific Jesus is fully man, but fully God. He is eternal. He has always existed and he will always exist. He has a name that's above every name. He has a power that's above every power. And he has a very distinct personality that's revealed through us when we take the bread and the cup and when we sing these songs and when we open the scripture. That's why Colossians chapter one says this. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. Do you have another slide there? And he made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He is above all things. He existed before all things. Let's go, every, let's go to the next slide. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is the body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Let's stand together. Listen, there's a lot of, there's a lot of questions in this life that are unanswered that only God knows. And the more I walk with God, the more I study the Bible, the more I study religion, you know, in a lot of ways, there's, there's more questions that I don't have the answers to. There's more things. I don't know how all things are going to work out. But the one thing that I do know, and the one thing that never changes, and the one thing that I'm certain at, that there is Jesus Christ revealed of God, that he is very distinct, he is very clear, and he is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ is the only one we can look to. His power is above all. His ways above all ways. He, he is verified. He has been tested. He is true. There's no error in him. There's never going to come a new revelation. There's never going to come a different Jesus. Our Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our country might change. Our culture might change. The church might change. But Jesus will never change. He's the one thing you can rely on. He's the one thing you can count on. He's always been and he always will be. He is eternal. He is above us. His power power is greater. He is the one we can trust. He is the one we can rely upon. He is the one in whom there is no error. He is the one who is there is no shifting. He is the one with whom there's no change. He is the one that's coming back for us again. He's going to come
come and set things right. He's going to set things in order. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The Jesus we know. The Jesus we worship. Everyone will acknowledge that he is the way. He is the truth. And he's revealed that to us. He's eternal. He's above us. And he is God. And we worship you, Lord. We love you. We thank you for that day we're going to see you. Come on. Thank you for listening to the podcast of the Church of Indian Lake.